Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. Church, would you join me in welcoming our senior pastor, John Leach? (laughs) All right, I want you to use your imaginations for a second. Uh, 1995. 25 years ago. How old were you? What were you doing? Summertime. Some of you are like, wasn't even born yet. You're excluded then from trying to think about where you were. But for many of you, you can go back. And so go back 25 years real quick in your mind. Just do the math. How old were you? And if you can remember summertime of 95, uh, where were you at? Were you in school? Uh, Were you already married? Were you a child? Um, had you started a business around that time? Were you a believer yet? Where were you at? Think just real quickly. Let me, um, let me connect you to summer of 95 for me. I was 32. I was a youth pastor at a church in Northern Colorado, Resurrection Fellowship. Um, I, that summer, together with Jonathan Murley, and Jonathan was 22 that summer. So he wasn't married yet, was still a student Uh, at ORU. He had come home in the summertime and we had planned a mission trip to Eastern Europe. And uh, it was shortly after communism had fallen. And so the need was just, it was huge. And, um, and, and the opportunity was, was incredible, man. You talk about people that had been deprived of the gospel their whole lives. Most of them had never grown up and owned a Bible. It was illegal to do so. And so suddenly, we, we bring cases of Bibles with us on this trip. I don't remember 30 or 40 cases of Bibles. And I would literally open a case when we were done doing ministry to hand out the Bibles, and people would dive over each other to get their hands on a Bible. Can you imagine standing on a corner in Boulder? older trying to hand out Bibles. I could be there for a year trying to give them all away. And so, I mean, literally at one point, we, we actually had people, a, a mini riot on our hands. People were fighting each other to get a Bible. And if one grabbed it, someone would take it out of their hand. You imagine the Bible being that precious to people. And so that's the climate. That's the, 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 the way that it was when we were in Romania that summer. And we, we were there for about three weeks. It was a really successful trip, but it was really busy. Literally speaking, um, pastors would come from all over the country. I'd never experienced this and found out that a group of Americans, young Americans, by the way, I led a group of students on this trip, found out that a group of young Americans were there and they would come and plead with us, come to my church, please, come come and tell people about Jesus. And I found myself unable to say, yeah, there were so many opportunities and so many requests that I literally had to begin to say no. So we had this successful, successful missions trip. It was just awesome. In fact, it was so life-changing. To this day, I have young people who have now, they're obviously grown up 25 years later. Some of them actually from that trip married each other and they're still in this church. After we started it, they moved here to be, you know God did something in somebody's heart when it's like that, right? And so it was just this this tremendous thing. So we're wiped out, we're tired, Uh, get on a jet, we fly out of Romania and there's no nonstop at that time coming out of Eastern Europe to get you back to the US. So they land in Western Europe, you overnight in Western Europe, and then you take a flight 
back to the US. So our overnight, listen to this, we come out of this, this communist, beat up, worn out, tired, poor country, and our overnight is in Vienna, Austria. You imagine what that was, man, what a culture shock, even after three weeks in Romania of eating Romanian food to come back and be and just like, you know, the rich Western European, very similar to America, except that they've got the culture and they've got the age and the history. So we're staying at a hotel that's right there by the airport. And Europe's got a great rail system. You can just get on it and go anywhere. And we only had just a few hours before we would fly out the next morning. And so um, we all wanted to see Vienna. So we jumped on a train from the airport. We went back into the city. Vienna's set up where you can really walk it. It's really cool. And I wanted to see the architecture. I wanted to see uh, you know, just, I just wanted to walk its streets. I, I, I've never been back and I've just learned, you know, you may only get one shot at something, right? So you better take it while you have the chance to do it. So I was just trying to, to get every last ounce out of that trip. So I was walking around Vienna. One of the things that we came to that was just like the center of the city, St. Stephen's Cathedral looks like this. Pull that up for me real quick. It's a beautiful Gothic church. See it? Uh, one of those churches, like if you have been to Europe, you know, Europe has had the gospel for a thousand years. A thousand years the gospel's been in Europe. And the people that a thousand years ago and 500 years ago and, and even, you know, uh, 400 years ago and 300 years ago, so in love with Jesus, such a revival came out of Europe that changed and shaped the rest of the world that when they built these cathedrals, it was to represent a time that was for them and it really teaches us two things, that many people in Europe love Jesus with all of their hearts, and it also teaches us that we're only one generation away from it being a memory and not something that's fresh inside of us. Because now they do stand for what was, but now they stand for what was. It's what was. And so this, this Gothic cathedral is sort of in the middle. And you can see, you know, to the side, the beautiful architecture. And if you look down here in the front, right, the front door, you see a group of people. And somewhere in there, we're queuing up and uh, we're going to make this tour. And so we go inside this, this beautiful church. And um, the, the person who's taking us on the tour, uh, it's Flawless English, just beautiful English, educated in the U.S. and just beautiful English. And the person begins to tell us the history of this church. And so um, the church, this is what they said. And it just, when, when, when they began to speak, it was as though, like everything else falls away. And I can hear the heart of what, what God is saying. And so this is what the person said. Once they decided to build this church, they set out to raise the money. It took them 200 years to raise enough money to build this church. And then when they started construction for it, because of a time where they did not have the modern tools that we have, they didn't have the cranes and they didn't have the earth movers, it took them over 100 years to build this cathedral. So from the start, where it first came out, hey, let's do this to the finish, when people began to meet in it, 300 years. And I heard that and I thought, that's, that's remarkable, right? It's remarkable. And then this dawned on me. The people that gave, the people that prayed, right? And the people that built it never sat inside of it for one service. Think about that people that gave, the people that prayed, 
And the people that built it never sat inside that church for one service. They did it not for themselves, they did it for the people after them, yes or no? They did it with the idea that if there's gonna be any legacy for this part of Europe, it's gonna be at our expense for the future of the gospel. They were so in love with Jesus that they weren't asking what's in it for us. They were saying, we will do this so that there will always be a light that shines for Jesus. Can you imagine those people, how they would feel today with what Europe has done with the gospel and how it's become more of their history rather than their future? Man, Europe needs a revival. And here we sit in this time and I, I, I'm thinking back suddenly to that moment and, and, and this moment, and the two things came crashing together for me because when I think about what legacy is, that in my mind is legacy. It's not what's in it for me. It's making it possible for the people that come after me to experience the Jesus that I love so that that light never goes out. So let me try to connect you to this idea of once in a lifetime legacy and the season that we're in right now. Those of you who go to our church, and I realize, you know, just a couple of days after Christmas, some of you are visiting right now, and some of you are not a regular or a part of Jubilee, but maybe you can just take the ride with us and enjoy this, and you never know how God might connect your heart to the idea of legacy. Um, this goes back all the way to the beginning of our ministry, my wife, Chris, and myself, um, this goes back to our first full-time position in ministry. We had just come out of Bible school, um, desperate, desperate to get a position and begin to make money, right? The reality of paying off the school loan is now in front of me. I have two small children, by the way. Um, all of life was happening while I'm still trying to go to school and volunteer in a church. And so I needed a position really bad. And an opening came for a church in Lakeland, Florida. They needed a, a youth pastor and I needed a church. So here's how this went down. Um, you go on an interview and you get dressed up in your best clothes and they put on their best manners and you, they, they fly you in, they kind of, I would say wine and dine, but there's no wine involved in a church interview, right? It's just, they dine and dine you. How about that right there? So we, we get together and I'm on my best behavior there on this. Their best. I'm trying my hardest to get the job. They're trying their hardest to impress me. And here's the problem with that. Uh, it's sort of like we got married based on how the first date went. And can I just give you one piece of advice? Never get married based on how the first date went. Like, yeah, amen, yeah. S stick it out a little more than that, right? So we make this huge decision about working together based on really a four or five hour uh, meeting over a couple of days and we're, we, we say yes to each other. And, and the problem with that was that we didn't find out, um, we didn't find out what they really wanted and they didn't find out who we really were. And it was a bad match, a bad marriage, if you will, right? And we were just like, from day one, it was like this, what they wanted, what they needed, they needed someone who was willing to come in and be sort of a game referee. And I wanted to preach. And they wanted someone who would babysit. And I believe that Jesus didn't matter how old you are, there's no junior version of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's, that's the guy they got, and they want someone who just will sort of, you know, be that. And I, there's nothing wrong with those things as long as you can do that and teach about Jesus. But they did not want that. 
They just wanted the activity part, an activity director. And that's not who I was. And it just, I tried, but I couldn't. I felt like I was compromising who I was on the inside. And I think in some level, they wanted to try for me, but it's not where the families in the church were. And so it was just, it rubbed the wrong way. And after six months, <laughs> I knew, and I think that they knew too, the pastor called me in his office and he said, how do you think it's going? Let me just give you one more piece of advice. <laughs> if they don't tell you how they think it's going and they ask you to tell them how you think it's going, it's because they want you to realize something that they don't think you know. And so I said, I, it's not going good. And he said, no, it's not, is it? And I said, what do you wanna do about it? <clears throat> and he said, John, I think we take six more months and we try to see if we can make a turn. And he said, if not, I'll help you find another position. I appreciated his honesty. I knew though, walking out of his office, I, there's no way. What was gonna change? What was gonna happen in me or what was gonna happen in them? But I felt he's what he asked for. Let me give it six more months, right? So six more months from that point got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And I came home um, literally just, just right at the one-year mark, maybe, maybe a week before the one-year mark. And normally when I come in the door, Chris and I will find each other. Whoever comes in you know, to the house, the other one will call out to them or go to them. We've just always done that for each other. And so I came home that day and you know, she's at home, she's got little kids and, and, and I, I just called out, hey, Chris, and there's no answer. And I know her car is there. So I begin to walk around the house and I find her in the kitchen. And those of you who've been here, you've heard me tell the story. She's, she's standing at a window looking out and she doesn't turn around when I walk in. So I walk to her and I grab her shoulders and I turn her around and tears are coming down her face. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, John, they hate me here. And she said, in truth, I hate being here. I knew right then it's over. Uh, happy wife. Yeah, nobody has to teach that, do they? We all know that right there. So I went to the pastor and I just said, hey, you know, we're coming up on the one year. Probably be a good way to end it, right? And he was all for it. In fact, he said, uh, if you don't, then I will. So I said, okay. <laughs> uh, it was in that place of discouragement. And the only reason I even waste our time in this message telling you about that, you have to picture where I was at when this miraculous thing happened. It was not at the height of ministry. It was not because I was in this awesome place and I, I just, you know, it was this emotional high. I was at this really low place. In fact, the conversation between Chris and myself was this, maybe we've made a terrible mistake choosing ministry. Maybe we're not cut out for this. It's funny how the devil will beat you up. Maybe we just need to get out of this. Maybe it's not too late for us just to go back home. Maybe we can just, you know, We'll do something else. And so we're, we're having those conversations and we're both discouraged and we both feel like we're, we failed so miserably. And why would it be any different if we go someplace else? And we go to bed and in that place, we get a visitation from the Lord. Now look, um, I used to try to convince people that this really happened. And I learned a long time ago, it's not my job to convince you of anything. I'm just gonna tell you the story and you can decide if you think I'm lying to you or if I'm telling you the truth, it's up to you. The difference between those two is whether or not I can be your pastor. It really is. If you think I'm lying to you, how could you trust me to teach you anything from the Bible? So I'll let you decide. 
So it's in that really discouraged place. We go to bed and in our, it's TMI, I know, but I sleep on the left and she sleeps on the right, okay? And we sleep in the same bed. So, uh, (laughs) for those of you at home, yes. Uh, So, middle of the night, um, it's not morning, it's not night, twilight. I'm not awake, but I'm not asleep, starting to wake up, and Jesus comes in. Now, I didn't sit up and look at him. I cannot tell you what he looked like. And so you might go, but if you didn't look at him and you didn't see him, how do you know it was Jesus? And the only thing I can tell you is, if he comes to visit you, you'll know. You'll know. If you follow him, if he's the Lord of your life, you'll know. And he literally came to the side of my bed and stood next to me, and I knew it was his presence. And he began to tell me things that are not for public, just things that had to do with, you're not a failure and I'm for you. And I am the one who called you and just reminded me of my call and the supernatural things that happened in that and how he got me to the place that he got me to and that he's, he's in this and to trust him. And then as dreams can happen, right? Suddenly I'm not in that conversation. I'm standing in front of a really large group of people, but there are a lot of pastors there too. It's a church. It's my church, but it's way in the future. And I see myself, it, I knew intrinsically watching it, it was going well. It was successful. God was, he was, the things that were in my heart were happening, but I had no proof at that time that they ever would happen. Does that make sense? This is a dream. And then at the end of this dream, listen to this. Jesus said, so you'll know it's me and not you. I'm giving Chris the same dream. So I opened my eyes. Now I know, folks, I know. I know not to prime the pump. I know not to help Jesus. If you do that, you take the supernatural out of it and you need the supernatural. So all I do is I'm laying on my left side. I open my eyes. I don't clear my throat. I don't shake the bed. I don't call her name. I open my eyes and I look at her and she opens hers and looks at me. And I said, are you having a dream? And she said, yes. I said, what are you dreaming? And she said, it's years from now, we're in our own church and you're standing up speaking to a really large group of people and there's a lot of pastors involved in it. Well, what would you do? I came out of the bed like somebody threw a snake in, but I'm like, Aah! so I'm, I'm running around the house, I'm looking for a pen and I'm writing down everything that I saw in the dream, just like, I, I couldn't write fast enough for all the things that I knew. God was telling us for our future. Now, here was the mistake that I made. I felt like because I had that dream, that next day I needed to go start that thing. But there's no context to do what God had given me a dream for. And it was a week later that I left that church. Now, our next stop was Lexington, Kentucky. We had a great ministry in Lexington, but the pastor got fired and all the staff went with him. And then I got really fortunate and Northern Colorado called Resurrection. And I went to Res and I had six great years at Res. And I went as the youth pastor and I became the associate pastor. And the pastor said to me, I'm going to retire, stay here and you can have all this. And all this (laughs) is 250,000 square feet. It's a beautiful thing, debt free. It's a wonderful opportunity. But this dream, this training center, this church, It's been a guiding factor over my life for 30 years. And as much as I wanted to say yes to him, I knew that wasn't the place. 
I knew it was something I had to build and something I had to do. And so there was a supernatural occurrence in 98 that brought me here to plant this church. God blessed it, and man, we were in a school and then a storefront, and miraculous to get this piece of property, and then we plant multiple churches that are all over South Denver, they're doing well, and you know, you just go forward into the future, and every time I would ask, is this the moment, is this the time, I'd try to start that training center with my staff, I'd try to start it with a group of people that I felt were called to ministry, I'd always ask, but there was never the pointing time, and then two years ago, in, in 2018, we were in Israel, and um, it was in the middle of the trip. Julia, you were there on that trip. Middle of the trip. Ames, you were there. And the group was in Jerusalem, and they were going to go down to the Dead Sea. You go down. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth that you can go to without going below water. And so the group was leaving Jerusalem that day to go down to the Dead Sea, and it was the middle of the trip, and it wasn't that long after I'd had the heart attack. And the medicine that I take for it I'm sort of limited on how high the temperature can go without it messing with what the medicine does in my heart. It makes my heart beat really fast if it gets too hot. So I said, hey, I'm not going down with you today to the Dead Sea. Chris and I stayed behind in Jerusalem. And so our hotel, it overlooks the old city of Jerusalem, the old city walls right at the Jaffa Gate, if you've ever been there. It's beautiful. We had the doors open and we're looking at the old city. And Chris and I were just worshiping the Lord, looking at Israel and thinking of God's faithfulness. Like when he promises something, it doesn't matter if it takes a thousand years, he'll do what he said he would do. Oh, it was awesome. And we're just worshiping the Lord. And the Lord gave us this scripture, Genesis 47, 27. I read this out loud to my wife and the Lord just began to speak to Chris and I about timing and where we were in space and time. Here's what the scripture says. Meanwhile, the people of Israel settled in the region of Goshen in Egypt there, they acquired property, they were fruitful, and their population grew. There are four things in there that are just really popular. They ended up in Goshen, they acquired property, they were fruitful, and their population grew rapidly. They were really blessed. And the Lord said, John, you're coming into that season. What I've done so far is going to look like a covered wagon compared to a rocket ship. Hold on. You're moving into that season. So immediately, I think that dream's going to come true. And I go back and I'm ready for it. Nothing significant happened. In fact, <laughs> I came back and I taught a whole series. If you were here, do you remember me teaching on this? And I taught what I felt like God was going to be doing and it was coming our way. And I taught that this idea of acquiring property was coming to us. I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know when, but we will not always be in this facility right here that we've done as much as we can with it, nobody can say that we haven't made the most out of what we've had, but that it's kept us from doing the things that we wanna do, including this idea of this teaching, this training center, this thing that can be a light, a city set on a hill that no one can cover. And I just said, hey, it's coming, get ready. But we go through time and space and we go through time and space and it just didn't go the way that I thought it was going to happen. And then fast forward, just a few months and we're in the beginning of 2020. And my senior team has a retreat and on that retreat, we feel like God is saying, hey, it is that season, it is that time. Let's fast for breakthrough. So I come back and I lead our entire staff in February of this year in a one week fast, man. And God does this 
awesome thing with my staff and we're fasting for breakthrough and the breakthrough was for you. We're not praying for us. We're praying for you. We're praying for our church. We're praying that worship is an open heaven. We're praying that the word of God has more power than ever before. We're praying that God puts back marriages, that God saves children from suicide, that God is moving in schools, that God is recreating and, and he's, and he's showing and he's, he's putting back together things that the enemy has stolen praying for breakthrough over our church so that in February of 2020, we come through this really powerful time and I proclaim to the church and my staff, now's the season. And the next week COVID hits. <laughs> so I go before God just like, oh, how can I miss it so bad? And I felt like the Lord said to me, you missed nothing. I prepared you for this season. I prepared you for it. Watch what I'm going to do in your church. Now look, I know this has been a terrible time. I know that when Rebecca said, it's the last week of 2020, everybody's excited for 2021. Like on January 1st, all that's happened in 2020 is gonna just die in the sea. Right? We can hope. We can hope. It's okay to have hope. That's false hope, but you can hope. You can hope. So I get it, man. I'm anxious for it to happen too. But I need to say this to you. During the middle of 2020, as lousy as it was in some ways, our church did better than it's ever done. Your faithfulness, I, I proclaimed at the beginning of it, we will be stronger coming out of this than we went into it. And we are. We are. And for many reasons that I don't have time to teach on right now. But in July of this year, um, we want to do a family vacation. We gather all of our children together and we rent a house and we just, we spend that time together. We love the time with our grandchildren and with our children. And it was just important. The day before I'm leaving for vacation, Pastor Todd knows this, out of the blue, we haven't advertised it. We haven't connected with any real estate person. Just out of the blue, a person walks up and says, would you be interested in selling your office building? You realize our offices aren't here. This is the church. We gave up the offices in this location years ago when we needed the room downstairs for children. We bought an office building. It just so happened. And that's where the offices are. It's where one of the campuses are that we planted. And in that office building, someone approached us and said, would you sell this building out of the blue? And Todd brings that to me the day before I'm leaving for vacation. So I told Todd, don't do anything with this. Don't even respond to it. I'm going to go on vacation. I'll pray about it. So we have an awesome vacation. Last day of vacation, I gather my children around. If you go, why your children? Because my children were the ones who helped me start this church. Yeah. Look, today it's made up of a lot of other people, but go back to 1998, and the only hope I had was that my family liked how I taught. <laughs> they were the ones who painted, and they were the ones who cleaned, and they were the ones who sacrificed to come with mom and dad. It was my family. So I got my family together and I said, hey, I just want to share something that I think is interesting that's happening. Without advertising and without talking about it, someone's approached us on this office building and if I go down this road, it could start into an effect, a ball rolling. And the way I kind of see it coming is that I'd sell that building and then I'd probably look to sell this building and then I'd look to buy a piece of property or find something that's already built. So I kind of had this plan in my mind, but I didn't know exactly what it meant and how it was going to roll out. And I hadn't really shared it with the powers that be. 
My children, man, we just prayed about it. And then the most remarkable thing happened. My children began to prophesy to me. My wife begins to prophesy to me. And if I, I, oh, if I could give you the gift that money can't buy, it's that your children would begin to carry the spiritual legacy so that you saw them go further than you. I wished that could happen for you. So my children began to prophesy to me, dad, this is it. God's been telling you, this is the time. And this is what they said. He's going to make this easy for you, dad. This won't be like last time. You won't have to be everything to everybody. You don't have to be the general contractor. You don't have to be the real estate agent. You don't have to be the bank representative. You don't have to be the, pe- the preacher. You don't have to be everything to everybody. You've got enough people to help you. God's going to protect you. Don't worry about your heart. Stay in your lane and tell your story. Right? So I come back and I told Todd, all right, let's, uh, let's talk to this guy. And we had had an appraisal done on our properties for our mortgage. We joined our mortgages together on the two properties. And so we had just had an appraisal. So I knew what the properties were worth. So we told the guy, here's the value of the property. And the guy, um, not only did he write the letter of intent, but we went under contract with this building, uh, with the office building. And we're supposed to close the first week of January. In the meantime, we don't advertise it. We have no real estate person. Out of the blue, a Christian school approaches me with this building. Would you sell it? It didn't go down quite that quick. Here's how it went down. They approached and they asked Daniel, what's your dad going to do with the building? And Daniel said, well, as a matter of fact, he's talking about maybe what the future would look like. So the guy said, can I take a look at the building? So he brings a group from his school through the building. They look at it and the guy says this, can I do a radon gas test downstairs? And I said, no, you cannot. If you want to buy the building, you can do a radon gas test. But if you're just kicking tires, no, I'm not going to let you do that. So the guy says, what do you want for it? And I knew what it was. We just had it appraised, 4.2 million. So the guy writes me a full cash offer for 4.2 million. So I'm holding the letter of intent. Listen to this. And I don't sign it because I feel like the Lord said, that's not who you're supposed to sell it to. But Jesus, (laughs) it's so easy. Didn't you hear what they said about it being easy? And this is what Chris and I looked at each other. When we got this, all that was here was a cross in the middle of that field. And I would pull my car up. I didn't even know who owned it. And I'd walk around this field and I'd just walk the perimeter of it and I would tell God, it just sat here vacant, nobody building on it, but there was a cross. I knew a church owned this. And I would walk around and I would just say, God, I don't know who owns it, but if you give it to me, I promise we'll build, we'll use it. It will not sit as a piece of ground. And out of the blue, I don't have time to tell that part of the story. It was a miracle. We get this ground, we build on this ground. Yes, boom, it's great. It was just great. So I said to Chris, I think another church is supposed to have this, not a school. And it's not that I'm against a Christian school. Yay for Christian schools. Support Christian schools. Help Christian schools. But I just felt like God set it aside for a church. So I told her, I can't sign this. And 24 hours later, without me advertising or saying anything to anybody, a young church in Parker calls me and says, we hear you might be selling that building. 
And this is what they say. Can we tell you our story? Oh, see, that's me. I don't care. The other stuff doesn't matter to me. Let me hear the story. I need the story is what the miraculous so that people see the God factor is what I'm into. So I sit down with this young pastor and his wife and they're at year seven and they just pour out their hearts and man, they're in this like, you know, semi-permanent facility, but they need to make the great leap into a permanent facility. And then he pulls out this pamphlet that for the past year they've been raising and he had an architect draw a design of what they're looking for. They're looking for 20,000 square feet. They're looking for something that costs between four and 4.5 million. And they're looking for something that can handle in each service about 400 adults and about 200 children downstairs. It's as though it was this building. And he said, John, would you, could you? (laughs) And so I told him my story. (laughs) I've been holding it for you. I just didn't know who you were. Now, if you want to know who they are, I'm not at liberty to tell you yet because he's telling his people this weekend too. And so I can't, right? That's his story to tell, but I will tell you. So they gave us a letter of intent for the full price based on it doesn't kick into effect the contract until we close on the other building because we don't want to sell this building and have the other one not go through, right? We need to sell it. We need this. But that means if you're thinking, where will we go? Anybody got an idea? No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so now we have engaged a real estate person because Todd and I aren't, we don't know what real estate contracts and let's get a commercial person. I know we have many, many, um, you know, home real estate people, but I needed a commercial person. We're doing commercial, right? So we have a person that's helped us in the past. His name's Adam. We contact Adam. We tell him what's going on. Adam's like, man, I'd love to be a part of that. This is his church. I'd love to be a part of that. So Adam's looking left and right for that next thing. And he's like, hey, there's not a lot out there, but I know God's doing this. And lo and behold, man, I just said, look, draw a circle around our building that extends for three to five miles and just look in that area. There's gotta be something. And I'm out driving around too and uh, three miles due east of here on Lincoln um, is CU South Denver. Used to be the wildlife center. You might know exactly where it's at. Um, The Lenningers built it. They own Remax Realty. He built it for a museum. And then they added on to it, turned it into basically, yeah, that's the property right there. Looks like a church to me. Um, (laughs) Here, look, Next week, I'll talk more about the particulars of joining a church and a training center together and why I think this building is the building. But I'll give you you facts today that you can begin to pray about it and see if your heart is caught up in it. So um, it's big. It's 150,000 square feet. It's a lot bigger than what we have right now. And is it more than we need right now? Yes. But (laughs) you have to understand. Yeah. (laughs) What would I do with that much square footage. So here's the things that it has right now that would allow us from day one to meet. It's got an auditorium that seats a thousand people. Could you imagine doing just one service right now? We still have to do two, but just, I mean, could you imagine joining our church together and not being fragmented? It's got a commercial uh, 
kitchen with it. It's got a cafeteria. It's got a bookstore. It's got classrooms that CU have been using that they put in the very best top-notch computer equipment and long-distance learning equipment so that you could join a church and you could have a training facility. It's got a 300-seat theater auditorium that's state-of-the-art. You could do conferences in it. It could be, yeah, woo is not even close to where I'm going, so hold on, hold on, man. It can be state-of-the-art children, state-of-the-art youth, state-of-the-art educational men and women. It, and it's so much square footage that I would go to YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and I would offer them rent-free space. Come here and train up young missionaries. Come here. I would talk to... I would talk to other parachurch ministries in our community. Look, see, I see it in two things. One is the church. I would take care of this so you know. Hear me say it. I think you know this. This is my baby. This is what I've given my life to. This is not a stepping stone for Pastor John to go someplace else. I burned the ships when I came here, and I said it either goes or it doesn't, but I'm giving my life to one group of people. I'll be 23 years into it as soon as the calendar turns. And if God will allow, I will finish my career here at Jubilee. But so you know, this isn't for me. I'll get to use it for a little while, but this will be for other pastors that come behind me. And it will be for other people younger than you are. And that's not bad because legacy is not what's in it for me. It's how do we allow the gospel to go forward after us? All right, so, so listen, 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 listen. Let me just connect this. I'm gonna run out of time. Um, I, I, so that you know that I don't like just shoot from the hip or fly by the seat of my pants. I know it appears. I make it look like it's, it's that way. But behind the scenes, man, I am practiced. I, I, everything has got a, a place. There's, it's line upon line, precept upon precept. T's are crossed, I's are dotted. I'm very good at what I do. And I'm not... Just understand what I'm trying to say in the context of the statement. So I'm not a fly by the seat of my pants type person, but I am open to God moving. You have to be both. And, and so I knew this day was coming and this moment was coming and I thought, okay, I'm going to lead what I'm about to ask these people to do. So I had, you know, like what significant could I do? And I have a Harley, had a Harley, just, you know, <laughs> A road glide, for those who might know what that is, is a beautiful bike. It's a custom bike. It was like a dream bike, and I owned it outright. And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to put this up. I'll, I'll lead what I'm about to ask people to do, and I'll give from something that's deep inside of me, something that's valuable too, and I knew that it would sell instantly, right? So uh, that's my plan. I'm going to lead this moment with that. But then two months ago, we're doing our missions week and our missionaries have just been beat up this year with COVID. So I tell one story about how our church is done, but I know it's not been like that every place. And our missionaries in other parts of the world have just taken it on the chin. So we're sharing about what our missionaries need and all the things that are going on. And especially our ones in South Africa, where their whole ministry is now churned uh, to, to be about picking up babies that are being discarded on a trash dump in South Africa. And I thought, are they just doing that every once in a while? And they're doing it on average five times a week right now. And I thought, ah, I'll never meet any of them, 
but I can't sit by and not, I can't be okay with that. So I'm standing up here that weekend. If you were here two months ago, you know, this is true. And this is what the Lord says to me. If you'll take care of what's in my heart, I will take care of what's in your heart. And I know what he means. I know exactly what he means. No other conversation is necessary. Now it's just a decision. And when God moves in your heart, let me just say this to you. There's a very small shelf life for the anointing to do what it can do inside of you. A very small shelf life. Wait long enough and your natural mind or the devil will talk you out of everything. You'll have a memory, but you will not have the thing that God could have done with you. So I know exactly what the Lord means. So I just say this out loud. Okay, I was gonna use a motorcycle for something that's coming up. Did you hear me say it? If you were here? But I'm not gonna do that. God wants me to give it for this project. So I, I don't know if I should put it on auction or if I should just sell it outright. I just threw that out there. I go home and before I can change my clothes and sit down, my phone rings. I pick it up. It's a person that obviously has that access. Have you sold it yet? No, I haven't even sat down yet. I'll give you $25,000 for it. It was the price I had in mind. I would have taken more, <laughs> but it was the price I had in mind. So I said, okay. He writes the check and uh, Pastor Murley's not sitting in here right now, but every dime so that you know, every dime. Yeah, yes. And, and you responded to that because we took the largest single offering we've ever taken for missions, $230,000. And it's all gone. Jonathan's already given, the missionaries are already spending it right now. They're already spending it, yeah. But it messed up, it messed up my plan. I had this wonderful orderly plan so that it looks like I just fly by the seat of my pants and I don't, but I let God lead my heart more than I have to have my order. So, I wanna read to you the what, the why, and the when. By the way, I don't know if it will be that CU building. I don't know. I have made an offer on it and they rejected it and said, we're so far apart that we won't even give you an offer. But then they did call back 48 hours later with an offer. Yeah, but we're still far apart, right? So my thing is I cannot give away our future in order to get something that, it, it has to be right or it's not right. Now there is another building right by Ikea. So it fits within the circle and it's everything that we need too. But here's the difference between the two buildings. My soul sings when I walk through this building. With the other one, it hums. <laughs> right? It'd be okay. Get done everything we want to do. But man, I just come alive. And so here's what the Lord told me last night when I was teaching the people last night this do it for yourself. God told me he will capture your heart. Drive down there, go in the parking lot and see it for yourself and let the Lord speak to you. If you're like, pastor, I just don't know if I can see this. Fine. Maybe I, I, I know this driving home last night. I have no technique that will talk you into anything. God has to speak yes. to you. God has to speak to you. And that's how we've done everything we've ever done in this church. And so I say that out loud with full confidence that if God's doing this, then he'll tell you. So would you do this? Would you pray about it? And will you do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do? That's all I can ask. I won't come to your house. I'm not gonna follow you around. And by the way, I will not stand on this platform and bawl like a baby to get my way. If this isn't it, then I will 
and walk away from it and go to the next thing, I'm a leader, not a baby, okay? Just so you know. But I do think with everything in me, this is it, man. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, I had these printed. It's called Legacy Building for Tomorrow. And all the idea about why we're doing this and what it could look like, all of that's in this. And they'll hand this to you on the way out. But inside of it is this little pledge card. And so I just want you to take it and I want you to pray. I'd really love for you to go down to that building. Let's just go straight down Lincoln, three miles on your right-hand side, right? If you're going east, on your right-hand side, it's CU South Denver. You cannot miss it. Uh, if you close your eyes, you'll see a big sign that says Jubilee Fellowship on it. <laughs> Here's what this card says. <laughs> My initial gift is, or over the next year, I will. Initial gifts are important in this. It's like the cash to do this is really important. We're going to have several million dollars from the sale of both properties, but it's, there's things we want to do. So we're talking like not hundreds of thousands, we're talking millions of dollars that we need to raise in a short amount of time. So it's just the right project for God to do something great. <laughs> um, you know, we, we have cachet with a bank, but I just, I can't, I can't mortgage away our future so that we make a payment, but we can't do anything else. We've gotta still take care of missionaries and we have to be able to dream and we have to be able to take care of pastors and we have to be able to say yes to the things that God wants us to do. So there's a fine balance here. So for those of you who might have like means to really do something serious about this, would you pray about it? And I know this, I'm no rookie doing this, man. I'm in the last quarter of my ministry and I've done this my whole life and so I know this. We sit in this church and I look around right now, there are so many different levels of people younger and older, some who are very successful and some who are still trying to figure it out. Some who are struggling right now, you've had setback in 2020 and some of you could say 2020 is, I've prospered. So we all come from different places. I get that. I'm not asking for equal amounts, but I'm asking for equal sacrifice in this. So let me say it to you clearly so that you know, if you go to Jubilee, I need you to do this with me. Don't come and sit and just take. Help me. Help me do something that goes beyond us. Help me do something that will shine a light. If you go here, you know this is true. Give me more and I'll do more with it. I'll do more with it, I promise. So would you, would you pray about this? Um, over the next three weekends, I want you to pray about it. And then at that third weekend, I'll collect them back. If by that third weekend you don't know, it's okay, right? Like, I need the majority of you to know. Some of you already know. And if you do, encourage me and tell me. If you don't know and you need to pray, I totally get it. And if you have money coming in later that like, hey, I'll, I'll do this, but I can't do it right. It's, it's all good. It's all good. We just don't operate like that. But I know that we can do this. Um, by the way, <laughs> I, this is my first ask this weekend, right? This is my first ask. And, and coming into this the last week, God's done this really cool thing for me. Um, so uh, my staff, some of my staff, my, my, my senior team in particular, I haven't told the whole staff. I haven't asked the whole staff. I've told them, but I haven't asked them. 
But my senior team, I asked them, would you guys pray about leading this and giving to this? And so um, some of my staff has come to me and, and said, hey, we wanna pledge this and it's really awesome. But then Pastor Terry had this meeting with a businessman in our church this week and we haven't even asked yet, but Terry's telling him the story, just the story. And the guy just blurts out, I'll give $50,000, right? And then he said, I'll be there this weekend. If God wants me to do more, I'll do more. So, so listen to this. In pledges and actual cash that's been given in one week, $150,000 has been given without me ever saying a word. Now that's a lot of money, but it's not near what we need. But it was just something that God said to me, go for it, boy. Don't hold back. Tell them. Tell them the story. So let me read you my letter. It's in this. And then Pastor Jake will take us through communion. Where are we at time-wise? Dude, you need to be fast. <laughs> in my mind, I'm always ever 25 minutes. Always. <laughs> yeah, really. Truly, in my mind, it's 25 minutes. Okay. Welcome to this historic moment at Jubilee. This is our most important season since we planted our church in 1998. We believe God is doing the miraculous for our fellowship. Long before there was a church called Jubilee, there was a dream. Early in our ministry, God gave Chris and myself a literal dream at the same time of a teaching and a training center. This dream has been the original and guiding promise over our lives for more than 30 years. Today, we begin the second part of our mission God is showing us now is the time to pursue and fulfill the dream of a church and a training center. We believe we have found our building to take Jubilee to the next level and give life to the teaching and training center. And then I just put this in of a brief description of what I think it'll do. It'll be a place for pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostolic to help equip God's people to discover and recover God's promises. That's Ephesians 4. A place to help those in need and give opportunity to those who want to learn, a place that honors the gifts that God has given to his people, a chance to help our community and bring some of heaven to earth. So I'm asking you to pray and seek God about how he would prompt you to take part. Listen, join with us by saying yes to this opportunity. Together, we can help more people become a part of God's kingdom. Together, we can build a legacy for future generations.